Hey, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at a variety of passages today. Uh, we're going to begin in, in Matthew 23. If you're the kind of person who likes to follow along, you can open your Bible there. There is a Bible app event that has that text and much more in it if you want to follow along that way. You know, in, uh, in church, I generally don't make a fuss about holidays unless they're holy days. You understand what I mean by that? So I don't know that I've preached a Valentine's Day sermon or uh, um, Independence Day sermon, Memorial Day sermon. Those are important days, but they're not holy days, uh, so they're not religious holidays. Uh, even Mother's Day and Father's Day, I'm kind of hit and miss on that. Sometimes I do, uh, often I don't. Uh, be, I just do it when I do it because it just seems to fit uh, with the people who are here and, and they generally enjoy it. Something I never do is preach about how to be a good mother, and that's because not all of us are moms. I am not a mom, right? What about you, Randy? Are you a mom? No, Randy's not a mom either. So, you know, I don't preach, here's how to be a good mom. Instead, I try to take something from motherhood, or if it was Father's Day, from fatherhood, and I try to take something there that will help us understand who God is better. Because that's really one of the main reasons we're here, is to know God and to understand him, to understand his character, his nature, and how he presents himself in this world so we can worship him better. That's what I want to do today. I actually want to take three lessons that your mother taught you and uh, kind of show you that maybe, uh, maybe there's a spiritual element to that. You see, whether she knew it or not, your mom, as she was telling you these kinds of things we're going to speak about today, was fulfilling an important role in your life. She was speaking wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, into your heart. But before I talk about these three things, I just want to take care of some important things. First, I want to say this. I understand the sad truth that not every person here has or even had a good mother or a good father for that matter. That's a sad reality of life. Some parents are negligent. Some parents are simply incapable. Some are very self-centered. Some are absentee. And some are incompetent. And I want to say that if that applies to the person who gave birth to you, then as you hear this message today, I'd like to ask you to think of the people in your life that God gave you to fulfill that role. You understand? Because God does place people in your lives to act in places where others are absent. So if you didn't happen to have a mom who taught you these kinds of things, think of the person God gave you who did. It could be a grandma. It could be an aunt. I'm trying to say aunt so I can sound more sophisticated. I don't like it. Could be an aunt. How's that sound, right? Yeah. It, it could be your pastor's wife. It could be a neighbor. It could be someone at church, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's one of the teachers you had in school. Think of that person as I speak this morning. Second, I understand that many of us have lost our mothers. I lost my mother, and that's sad. It makes me sad. But I hope that you will join me in not letting the sorrow of having said goodbye to your mom rob you of the joy in remembering these things. I want you to enter into the joy of just remembering some of the things your mom might have said. Third, I kind of want to underscore the reasons that mothers teach these lessons. And there are many reasons. One of them is because they're just essential. And your mother knew that you needed to hear these things, that you needed to learn these things. And without her giving you this information, teaching you these things, you would not be the person you are today. The second reason that mothers teach these things is because no one else will. <laughs> Many times. Motherhood, as I have watched my wife serve as a mother, motherhood is perhaps, pound for pound, 
one of the most thankless jobs a person can undertake. I've heard mothers tell me how their children yell at them and call them names, and I've watched that happen personally from time to time. Moms still do this, though, because they know no one else will. And so they do this thankless job because they love you. And that's the third thing I want to remind you of. That is, your mom told you these things. She told you these because she loved you. And she would do it all over again because she loved you. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about the three lessons that your mother taught you. In this first lesson, it may be a little bit humorous. Um, Your mom, maybe your mom didn't teach you this. Maybe she did. Maybe she should have taught you this. Maybe other people wish she would have taught you this. How's that wording go? Make sure you wear clean underwear. That's what it was, right? Yeah, and and then she followed it up with, you never know when you're going to be in an accident. I don't don't know. Did your mom tell you that? Honestly, I don't remember my mom ever saying that to me. Maybe yours didn't either, but that's something moms are saying. It's kind of something that's important because here's what they're actually saying. They're actually saying, pay attention to the things that others cannot see. You hear that? Pay attention to the things that others cannot see. Does that sound familiar to you? If you've read the words of Jesus, if you've read the Bible, if you've been around church a little bit, you know it's familiar because it's something that God says over and over again. In fact, Jesus, when he's speaking in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 25, he's kind of laying out these woes to the religious types. It's kind of unnerving. He's speaking to my peers in that day and age, the religious leadership. And listen to what he says in verse 23 or 25 of chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Pay attention to the things that people cannot see. Now, I'm not sure that's what moms had in mind when they told you to make sure you have clean underwear. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what they were thinking, but I do see why it's an important thought. It's important to consider the character qualities you have that others don't see. John Wooden was right when he told people, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. So on this Mother's Day, it might do you, it might do me well to kind of take a look at who we are deep down inside. What am I inside? What are you like on the inside where nobody sees? I mean, are the things that you do when no one else is watching that you would be ashamed of, things that you do that are wrong? Maybe that's the kind of thing you need to address. Or are there secrets that you know you need to come clean with to Jesus, to God, to tell him, yeah, I see this junk in my heart. It shouldn't be there. Is there a dark corner of your soul where God needs to shine some light? Character is what you do when no one is watching. Your mom says, make sure you have clean underwear. 
Now, before we look at the second one, if you're following along in your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Just going to read two verses there. The second lesson that your mom gave you went something like this. Don't get up from the table until you clean your plate. (laughs) I have logged a lot of hours sleeping at the table, you know, just waiting there for mom to break. She very seldom did. Clean your plate. Clean your plate. And what was her next line? Kids in wherever would be happy, would be happy to have it. Remember Weird Al Yankovic when he did the, uh, the Eat It song? It was the takeoff on Beat It. Well, don't you know that? Now their kids are starving in Japan, so eat it. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds just like mom did, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> right? Did that work for you, by the way? Knowing that other kids would be happy to have it. Oh, okay, I'll gobble it right now. That didn't work for me. Who's that work for? I don't know who that works for. Now, your mom was trying to teach you several things when she said that. Number one, she was trying to make sure that the food didn't go to waste. That was a personal thing, maybe. We'll get to that in more detail in a moment. But I think more basically, was she was just trying to teach you to be thankful for what's in front of you. To be thankful for what you have. Because if you're not thankful for what you have, you'll always be discontent. And you'll never have real peace. So mom's teaching you to be thankful. And, and she's also teaching you to value what you have been given. Man, and that's kind of paramount under this point. Value what you have been given. Don't take more than you're going to eat and eat what you have taken. Your mom didn't want things to go to waste. She wanted you to learn to value them. And whether you know it or not, and whether she know it or not, those are really biblical lessons. God teaches us that we're to be thankful, like in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like your mom taught you to be thankful, God wants you to be thankful. And God teaches you as well to avoid waste, to value what's been given. There's a story recorded in John chapter 6. We're not going to turn there right now. But in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It's actually more than that. It says the number of the men was 5,000, plus women and children. Jesus fed a lot of people, and he did it with a little boy's lunch. We say he multiplied the loaves of bread and the fishes. It was a miraculous kind of thing, feeding 5,000 people. In verse 12, he gives an instruction that I find peculiar after it's all over. In John 6, 12, Jesus says to his followers, he says, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Now, I want to tell you, that seems weird to me. If I were there, first, I wouldn't want to have to do that. How many people would be on that hillside? How much food am I going to, how much, this is going to be hard picking up all this stuff, you know, be like cleaning up Beaver Stadium after a Penn State game or something. I really don't want to do that, you know. But on top of that, there would be this little logical thing in my head that would be going like this. Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed or not, but you just provided food, all the food we needed and more miraculously. Why are we gathering up this stuff? You can just provide more anytime. What are you saying let nothing be wasted for? Why are we gathering this up? And I think part of the answer would be this, because wasting that which has value is just plain wrong. Wasting. It's wrong. Now, you may think to yourself, well, as an adult, I don't waste things. I mean, I'm, I'm very careful with things. And, and you've pretty much learned, clean your plate, and you clean your plate. And if you're like me, if you're a Scotsman, you really don't waste things. You know the difference between an Englishman who's taken down wallpaper and a Scotsman who's taken down wallpaper. 
the Englishman is redecorating, the Scotsman is moving. He's taking it with him, right? Scotsmen don't waste things. It's not right to waste things. None of us want to waste things. But what about your life? I, I was one time going to speak at baccalaureate in Kermansville. You know, it might have been about the time you graduated, uh, Mr. Clark. I'm not certain. But it was about the time my daughter graduated or my son. So it was in that era, back in the day, we'll call it. Long ago, he says, yeah. And I, and I can remember, I, I just said to a, a woman in the church who was retired, I said, hey, I get to talk to graduates from high school. What should I tell them? Immediately. She didn't even have to think. She went, tell them, don't waste your life. She's facing retirement. Don't waste your life. John Piper, who's one of my preferred authors, wrote a book, and the title of it is, Don't Waste Your Life. And when you go to his webpage, it's free. You can download it. Google around, you'll find Don't Waste Your Life. On that webpage, he writes this. Listen to these words. The American dream beckons people to spend their lives on trivial diversions, slipping through life, caught up with seeking success, comfort, and pleasure above all else. But God designed people for far more than this. This is especially the case if you are a believer, that you are designed for something more than just your own self-interest. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. While it may be a problem to scrape good food from a plate into a garbage disposal, it is unthinkable to do that with your life. You would never do that. So take a look at your life. Are you doing things that are significant in the face of eternity? Are you spending your time doing things that have meaning, long-term meaning? Are there, and I chose this word intentionally, are there life wasters that you're engaging in? Initially, I said time wasters. We wouldn't just be wasting our time, would we? It's your life. Is there a way that a human being can live their life so that they demonstrate to God and everyone else that they value the time, the life that they've been given? Ask yourselves those questions. I kind of hear mom saying, don't get up until you clean your plate. Now, the third passage of scripture we're going to look at is in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter six. And here's the third thing that your mother might have told you. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Besides not wanting your breath to smell quite so toxic, your mother probably told you that because she was thinking of the fact you need those teeth to last. After your baby teeth are gone, your adult teeth enter the scene, and you're not getting any more unless you want to spend a lot of money late in life to get more. (laughs) So brush your teeth because you'll need them for the rest of your life in the future. Take care of them. I once heard a good friend of mine, an older man, make this remark. He said, I never smoked. (laughs) I wasn't a drinker. I ate healthy and I exercised. But you know, if I could go back 70 years, I'd do one more thing. I would take better care of my teeth. (laughs) That seems like an odd thing to say, right? 
But he, at that point in his life, realized these are the only teeth I'm getting. And he wishes that way back then, he would have been thinking about the future and taking better care of his teeth. Brushing your teeth is one of the fundamental ways you learn to prepare for a future that you can only imagine. It's a simple thing. It's what your mom said to do. But preparing for the future isn't just about brushing your teeth. It isn't just about eating healthy. It isn't just about exercise. There is a spiritual dimension to life and a spiritual need to look to the future. That spiritual dimension is so important that in God's eyes, in Jesus' language, it actually eclipses every other concern. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 6, verse 19, when he said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermins destroy, and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I find it fascinating how many times that verse has come up in the past several months in my life. It's almost like God's trying to tell us something. He is. He's trying to tell you to prepare for a future that you can only imagine. He's trying to tell you to prepare for eternity. I know. (laughs) Your mom wasn't teaching you to prepare for eternity when she told you to brush your teeth. But while the thought probably never crossed her mind, she was teaching you to think beyond the moment, to think about the future. Do you do that? I mean, in a world that demands our attention right now from the technology we hold in our hands, beckoning us to look at a post or read some news or to answer a text, to the schedules that we ourselves, our families, our children, even our parents are in, and the demands that those seem to make of us, eternity tends to fade into the background somewhere. And I don't really think about it. Maybe like I need to. It's way back there. Let me tell you something. I think that those instant demands and heavy schedule requirements are tools that can be used by the enemy to completely eclipse your concern for the eternal. So all you see is the here and now and the today. And if you think about it, to here and now, think about eternity. I don't know how eternity, how long that is. I know it's, it's the biggest number I can think of, but more. In the light of eternity, these 70, 80, or 90 years that you might spend here are like this. And then there's that that just goes on and on. I want to give consideration to that, but the enemy doesn't want me to. Whenever I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple, I will often say to them when we're talking about money management, who pays the bills, you know, things like that, I'll say, be thinking about investing for retirement now. And then I teach them the 72 rule of investment. Do you know what that rule is? Google that stuff, man. That changes your perspective on putting money away. And I explain it to them and they're like, wow. And I'll fix the math, I'll look at it, I won't cheat. Who's the math guy here? I won't cheat on the math. But I'll fix the math, I'll show it to him, and I'll say, you know what, if you would put down $4,000 each of you right now in the next year, when you're 60, you'll have a million dollars because the 72 rule demonstrates that. And they're like, wow, 
And then I say, you want to do that. Now you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Steve, why do you do that? Because I didn't do that. (laughs) You get it? I didn't put that money away when I was 20-something. And I can make good excuses about how stinking poor I was, but the bottom line is, I'm putting it away like crazy now, but the clock's already gone. The clock's already gone. I was not, as a 20-something, thinking ahead to an eternity, or to a time, rather, that I could only imagine, retirement. I don't want you to do that in terms of eternity. I want you, here and now, to brush your teeth. I want you to think ahead into an eternity you can't imagine and give consideration to how you can prepare for that. And what I don't want for you or for me is for us to come to that point and say, well, I didn't do a lot of bad things and I did a lot of good things and I cared for people. But if I could go back 70 years, I don't want you to do that in terms of eternity. I want you to think about it now. I want you to avoid that kind of regret. I want you to brush your teeth. (laughs) You know, in some respects, Mother's Day is all about showing honor where honor is due. And I think any of us who had mom that was loving to us would say, yeah, I want to honor my mom. Some people honor their mom by saying, mom, is there anything I can do for you? In fact, you might say to your mom, mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she might answer you, I want you to sit with me in church. And there are people around America today and churches around America that are here because mom said, here's what I want for Mother's Day. I want you to sit with me in church. Good for you. Good for you honoring your mom that way if you're doing that. That's great. That's great. Every godly mom deserves that kind of honor. And every godly mom wants their children to learn to show honor to God. And you can start, okay, catch this. You can start showing honor to God if you will just change your underwear. Okay, (laughs) that's not it exactly. You can start showing honor to God if you will come clean concerning your hidden sin. Do you understand that? Come clean considering concerning your hidden sin. Look into your own heart and see where you've messed up morally and ethically speaking and where you continue to do that. And if you can't find it, if you're like, I don't think I've ever done anything bad, check with your spouse. They'll help you. (laughs) You see, and be careful not to take the analogy too far here. It'll be kind of gross. But Jesus died to cleanse sin's stain. The Bible says that. And when you come clean concerning it, the Bible calls that confessing your sin. And 1 John 1.9, which is a Bible verse that lots of kids learn going to church, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same book of the Bible that says that, 1 John 1, says two verses previous to that, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and here's the line, listen to it. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, when you come clean about your shortcomings with God, God, I got this thing that I've done and I keep doing and I know it's wrong. When you come clean to him about that, he says, let me just wash that off your record. Let me take that away. For that sin, I died, Jesus says. So come clean concerning your hidden sin. Show honor, (laughs) 
where honor is due. A second, clean your plate. Value what you've been given in life. Value your own life and see that it's not just your own. How do you prioritize your life? And does the way you prioritize your life demonstrate an awareness that you are not your own, that you belong to God? If you have turned to Jesus and said, I trust your death to have paid for my sins, I want to turn from my sin and follow you, then you have been bought with his blood, with a price. So ask yourself, is my life showing that? Is it showing that I value myself? Is it showing that I value what Jesus did? In the house I grew up in, there was a plaque on the wall, and it said it so well. Listen to the words. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Hmm. See your life as a gift from God and choose to spend your life honoring God with what he has given you. Show honor where it is due. Make sure you have clean underwear. Make sure you clean your plate before you get up and brush your teeth. Prepare for the future, focusing on eternity. Focusing on a future that you can only imagine. You can't really say what eternity is going to be like. You haven't been there yet, but you can imagine what it's like. You can imagine sitting at a feast. You know, in Zechariah, there's a portion of scripture where it tells us that what we think of as a marriage supper of the Lamb When the Christians are all together and Jesus is hosting a meal for us, we're going to have red meat, that would be the lamb. We're going to have wine, that will be provided by Jesus. And Jesus is going to sing over us. Could it get any better than that? I cannot imagine that eternity. I can't. But I want to live in such a way that that is my focus in life. That that's what drives me, that that's what encourages me, that that's what gives me hope and when I want to despair, that that's what gives my life meaning when I'm wondering, what is this all about? I want to prioritize my life, my resources, my very being in such a way that I always live with an eye looking toward eternity, developing that future focus. I want to pray that we all can do this. I want to pray that we would come clean regarding our hidden sin. And I want to pray that we would value the lives God has given us. And I want to pray that our focus would not be just on today, not even on our retirement, but on something far beyond that, on eternity. I want to pray that for all of us. If you're comfortable doing so, would you please stand as we unite our hearts in prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so glad to be gathered in your house today. We're glad for mothers. (laughs) And we're glad for the lessons they taught us. Taught us lessons like come clean regarding your hidden sin and value what is put in front of you and prepare for a future you can only imagine. I pray that we would do that not just in the everyday mundane details of this physical life we have, but that this spirit that you've put inside us, that you've made us actually, as spiritual beings, that we in that respect would come clean. Regarding the stuff in our life we're embarrassed about, the hidden stuff that maybe even our spouse doesn't know, maybe even our best friend doesn't know, 
We don't need to come clean necessarily to our best friend, but we do want to come clean to you. And we can do that because we know you're a good, good father. That you demonstrated your love to us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that you desire for us to be honest about our shortcomings so we can find forgiveness in you and be free of that sack of guilt we carry around. And so right now we come clean concerning our hidden sin. Maybe some of us for the first time. We are sorry. We believe that Christ's blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That Jesus, when you died on the cross, God in the flesh, that you were paying for that sin. Thank you for doing that. We want to value what you did and we want to value the lives you've given us. In a sense of valuing just the air we breathe, when you let us inhale air immediately after we were born. Thank you for that. And thank you as well for the spiritual life we have. And at you, when we turn to Jesus and trust his death and follow after him, you breathe spiritual life. The person of the Holy Spirit comes and inhabits us. How could we think this life is our own when you do all that? May we value this life that you've given us, seeing that it is not our own, and look to you as to how we should live it. In a sense, coming clean regarding our hidden sin and asking forgiveness because of Jesus' death, that's faith. And in a sense, valuing the life we've given, no longer regarding it as our own, but yours, that's repentance, and that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We trust you, and we turn from our sins. As we move from there, help us prepare for a future that we can only imagine. By constantly having an eye toward that, looking to how we might please you, for we long to hear your words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.